seems to me in meditation practice that there's often the uh, mistaken idea, I suppose, that we're ever supposed to get rid of something, get rid of something in your mind, get rid of part of your being or suppress it or eradicate it. You know, the, these kind of ideas are not really, um, not really correct. You know, it's not that you strip everything away until there's nothing else left in a, in a quantitative fashion. This is a part of the confusion. It's not that, that's not how it works. Once you're caught up in this idea of quantitative, there is too much of something, something that needs removing, then you're kind of, you're a little bit stuck. You're kind of caught in a kind of illusion because if you're talking about energy, chi, sure, we, maybe we could talk about it to do with quantities. That's possible because it's kind of borderline having a form, sort of. But once you're talking about the mind, of course it's not quantitative. There's not a certain, I don't have a certain amount of personality traits I need to get rid of and then, and then I'm, I'm down, to the, down to the sort of nitty gritty of the true self or something. It's not how it works. And it's not like you have too much anger that you have to get rid of. It's not like there's a bucket full of it and it needs emptying out. It doesn't, doesn't work this way. Counter to that, I suppose you could argue that maybe there's a certain degree of chi trapped in the system if you're into qigong models that needs removing all right possibly but still at the root of that the thing that's producing that energy is still an aspect of your mind that isn't quantity based so it's not that something needs removing you know so, but but they do use the word remove they use the strip away they use the word to get rid of to clean to to sort of uh, shed you know but they don't really mean it in a quantitative way. What they mean is that ultimately, if you realize the nature of something, then what is lost is not the thing, <laughs> but the hold that it has over you. And that's the big distinction. So if I recognize the nature of anger or rage or envy or guilt or, or remorse or whatever that, that sits within me, once I see it for what it is, then it doesn't have a hold over me. It's gone. Its grip is gone. So have I shed that thing? Have I shed the guilt? Have I shed the anger? Well, I've, I've shed the attachment I have to it and I've shed the power that it has over me, I suppose. But is that quantitative? Not really. It's qualitative, isn't it? I think it's, I think it's a quality that's changed due to your level of insight. So really the, the biggest factor where this comes into play really is your emotional makeup, isn't it? Because there's a real divide in the kind of, what do you call it? The alternative scene, the new age scene, I don't know, whatever it is, where there's kind of two schools of thought that are appearing. And, and you only have to do a quick research on social media to see that these two kind of um, viewpoints are appearing. And social media is very good for that, is it can give you very quickly a kind of overview of the kind of general consensus of what people think. It doesn't give you accuracy <laughs> on very many things, definitely not. But it does give you an overview of what people are thinking at, at, at the moment, so, which is why certain entities may seem to control social media, as we're discovering, you know, in certain ways, because they want to distort the view that we have of what the consensus is. But right now, with regards to the alternative scene, with regards to your emotions specifically, I see two sort of key um, 
mindsets coming out. There's the very, I guess it's a kind of classical or traditionalist view. It's more in line certainly with Chinese teachings, which is like you need to shed the emotions and get rid of them. The emotions are a pathogen, which is, you know, something that was written about in, in certain classical texts. And, and once you're free of emotions, then there's a stillness. So there's that view. And uh, that's quite a commonly held view. And I think it's seen as almost, <laughs> it's almost like a bit conservative, isn't it? That's how it's kind of viewed, the more conservative practitioners of Buddhism or Taoism or Hinduism or whatever. And then you get the other view, which is more the liberal one, I suppose, the sort of uh, contemporary New Age scene, which is very much your emotions are guidance systems that direct you where to go. And I think this idea, I don't know where this idea came from, but I think it, I think it came from one or two very pro prolific kind of younger spiritual teachers. I think this is where it comes from, that your emotions are a guidance system and you're supposed to follow them and you're almost supposed to kind of like respect them and, and there's a kind of indulgence in them almost that kind of underpins that idea. And I mean, these two are both quite extreme, aren't they? They're both opposite extremes. I suppose then you have a third school where people want to see, you want to convert them into more virtuous ways of being, which is more in line with, with many of the Buddhist schools, isn't it? That there are emotions that are counterproductive to your development and also counterproductive to the good of other people. And then there are emotions that are productive for you and, and for the people around you. And, and you're supposed to trans, sort of transmit, uh, what's the word, transmute, sorry, the negative emotions into the sort of positive ones, the ones that are beneficial for your training. And there's all kinds of precepts and practices and meditations around that. So I guess that's the third view, isn't it? I think that uh, they all have their merit. They all have their merit, but all three of them really rely on, on one thing that you have to do, really, and that is to see the truth of what the emotions are. I mean, that's really... I mean, if I'm going to go with the first camp and I want to get rid of them, well, <laughs> if to get rid of them, I have to know what they are. I need to know what I'm getting rid of, so I need to see them. If I'm going to go with the second camp and follow them and just let them be a complete guidance system and rule my life because... I don't like that camp. I think it's a bit self-indulgent, a bit sort of self. I think it places too much importance. I think it makes you selfish, I think, that view. I think the first view can make you a bit cold. I think the second one can make you a bit selfish. But, uh, you know, I guess this idea has arisen because a lot of people are maybe a bit emotionally repressed or stunted, and maybe that's what they need at the moment. So maybe it's just a stage. But I don't think it's a healthy stage to stay at for too long. But if I am going to follow my emotions, I still need to know what they are. And then the third camp to transform them from something that's negative to something that's beneficial, you're still going to know to know what they are. You need to know what the emotions are. So for me, as I said at the beginning, getting rid of the emotions really means getting rid of the hold that they have over you. That's what they're talking about. You'll never fully shed yourself of emotions uh, short of some form of brain damage or psychological illness they're always going to be there because your emotions essentially are the reaction to a sensory experience so as long as you're having a sensory experience um, right now I can hear the fountains and I can smell maybe a bonfire over here and I can hear a little bit of the traffic and some of the animal you know there, there's all these kind of sensory experiences around me and each of these generates some kind of emotion I either feel pleasant or I feel unpleasant I'm quite comfortable here I like it so that's generating 
a kind of background emotion in me. I'm never going to get rid of that. You know, I might be able to move temporarily towards a state where those things aren't at the front of my awareness, which would be during meditation for me, uh, when the sense faculties go away and I step back from them. But still, I, I'm still going to have to have the emotions to interact with the world. So like I say, for me, it's not getting rid of them. It's getting rid of the hold that they have over you. And as much as anything, getting rid of the hold they have over you means to know what they are. That's the first step. You need to know what they are. So maybe it's different from classical teachings. It probably is. <laughs> Deviated a little. But I think that we can separate um, emotions and feelings and moods. I think they're three different things. Emotions, feelings and moods. Well, this is what I see in myself when I'm looking to see how I am formed and how I react to the world, you know. So to me, if we're very briefly, emotions to me are just labels. That's it. Like people have, you know, they say energy in motion, <laughs> emotion and things like this. And I guess emotion probably, I don't know, but it probably comes from the root motion, a root of movement of something. I would imagine, I can't imagine it means energy in motion. I, would, I wouldn't, can't imagine that the root of the letter E has its energy and uh, had its, has its root in the word for energy. I should look it up, shouldn't I? But I would imagine it's more to do with movement, something that moves you from your center or moves you into action or moves you to do something. I mean, you even talk about emotions moving us. That was very moving. So I guess it's probably rooted in there. But to me, I, th I think that emotions are just labels. And I'm sure some people hearing that will disagree with me and, and say that I don't recognize the beauty in emotions. But actually, it's because I think what a lot of people are defining as emotions, to me, are feelings. And I think they're different. I think you need to come out of your emotions into your feelings. And I'll explain why. I think emotions are things that are very easy to label, aren't they? So we have the emotion of anger, the emotion of happiness, the emotion of disgust, the emotion of, I don't know, guilt, the emotion of jealousy the yeah there's the whole there's a plethora isn't there i mean if i were to write out every emotion a human being could have there's quite a lot of them <laughs> and we can generally put some of them under broader categories and anyone who studied taoism or chinese medicine knows that we do we put them under broad elemental categories but still there's there's a whole range of them but they're all labelable right so you could probably um with most people that once you've had a series of experiences in your life which means to have lived for a little while, then you kind of recognize in yourself the emotion that somebody else is having. So in the majority of cases, you can kind of label what they're having, can't you? You can kind of go, oh, they're experiencing guilt right now, or, oh, they're upset right now, they're experiencing grief right now. And we can kind of get it partially from what they say, um, partially from their body language, um, and partially maybe from something a little bit more subtle where we just kind of, kind of read it. And sometimes we get emotions wrong, don't we? I mean, I know that because a lot of time people get my emotions wrong. It's very strange. I've been, I've been teaching courses and felt over the moon, like really enjoying teaching the course for a couple of days uh, in front of 100 people on a stage or something, talking through a concept, get to the end. And people have said to me, oh, you were so angry throughout that course. And I'm, I'm really confused because I didn't experience any anger whatsoever. And then on other courses where maybe... Uh, I remember one course in particular, a Chinese medicine course I had to teach on diagnostics. And right before um, I had to go into teach course, one of my family members was very, very sick and was hospitalized. 
Um, and it was a little bit of a concern, you know, but I had to teach the course. So I walked in and obviously this is playing on my mind. So I was a bit, I, I got to the end of the course and my perception of it was, oh, no, I didn't do a very good job there because I was kind of distracted by what was going on with my family member. So I, I, w I went to apologize to the group at the end because I hadn't told them what was happening. I thought, I got to apologize for, for not being myself, you know. And everybody thought I'd been really happy throughout the course. They said, oh, you were in such a good mood. It was one of the most joyful courses I've ever seen you teach. So <laughs> the very fact that people had not only got my emotions wrong, but also completely got it asked to face, they'd really got the opposite of what I was feeling. It wasn't just a little bit wrong. It was opposite end of the spectrum. It really highlights to me just how easily we can make mistakes with people's emotions, which also means we can make mistakes with people's personality um, very much as well and, and judge them incorrectly. You see that a lot on social media. So why, why I'm talking about this is because these emotions are just labels, but I don't think they're accurate. I think this is a part of the problem because once something is labeled, we know that it's not true if we're to follow the teachings of Taoism because they say that which can be named is not the real thing, paraphrased, but you know what I mean, start the Taoism. And they're implying, what they're implying is essentially once something is labelled, specifically within the realm of the mind, because the Tao Te Ching primarily talks about meditation, not politics, like a lot of commentators seem to think, but it talks about meditation. And they, they tell us that once something is labelled, once something is named, it is now incorrect because it is subject to a kind of clinging, a kind of solidity. And this is what happens with your emotions. So as an example of this, if I took four people five people. I've done this actually. I have literally done it several times with groups of students and I, I've asked them to describe a feeling that they all know. So I don't tend to choose something really obvious like anger. Guilt is always a good one. I choose guilt because a lot of people, well all of us have been guilty about something at some point in our life and we all know what guilt is and it might be something minor, it might be something major but it is something that we've all had I'm sure unless you're a complete sociopath or you've always been really nice. So you choose an emotion like this and then I ask people to describe the emotion and they will say, well, I feel guilty or I am guilty. And they say, well, okay, but that's not good enough because what does guilt feel like? So let me describe guilt. Guilt feels to me like it's a little warm. My body gets a bit hotter when, I, when I'm experiencing guilt and then something tightens under my ribs around my diaphragm and then there's maybe a little bit of a knot in the solar plexus and maybe a little bit of tightening it you know but there's a there's a series of feelings and if i conjure up or sort of take my place to my mind to a place of feeling guilty generally i'll get a very similar kind of process running through in the in the same order so to me that is the feeling of guilty rather than the labeled named emotion of guilty now it's the feeling of guilty because i'm literally feeling it so the reason this is important is because, well, there's two things. The first, there's always a few in there, I'm obsessed with list. <laughs> the first is that when I ask those four or five people to describe guilt, they won't give me the same description. There will be maybe a general ballpark kind of description that's very similar, generally gets people in a similar part of the body, but they won't feel it the same. So maybe I felt it a little bit hotter than tightness in the ribs, solar plexus, tightness in the neck. Maybe they feel it. One or the other person might suddenly get a little bit of a sinking feeling and then a muscle kind of tightens somewhere else and then maybe they feel a bit nauseous or, or there's pressure behind the eyes like they feel they're going to cry or something. So 
so therefore, <laughs> that person is having a completely different feeling than I am having. And out of those five people, probably those five people have slightly different experiences or maybe very different experiences. And if you ask a thousand people, is there a thousand different experiences or feelings? But we all call it the same, guilt. So, the other thing that happens is if you don't have a label for an emotion, you probably don't remember because that's so long ago. So long ago, like when you were young, you probably didn't have um, access to the full repertoire of emotions. Um, so you, you might have experienced anger at a young age, sadness or grief or loss at a, at a kind of young age and, and already kind of learned what they were. But then maybe some emotions came later. One of the biggest ones that probably came a bit later was romantic love, right? You might have had a connection to family, but romantic love for the opposite gender or the same gender, depending on your orientation, probably came at a slightly older age, right? Maybe towards puberty or maybe, maybe even earlier than that. But what I'm saying is not while you're five years old, is it normally it's a bit later unless you're developmentally abnormal perhaps, but, but I would say it comes a bit later. So it's a good example for us to think of because if you remember the first ever time you fell in love, that kind of giddy, hormonal, loss of your sense of self kind of thing, which was probably at quite a young age, but, but not really young, you know, probably sort of a child, but it, it'll be within your recollection. It was a very confusing feeling and almost quite overbearing and it's quite overbearing, in my opinion, usually not because it's a particularly strong emotion compared to the others, because I would say anger and hatred are also very strong. But it's overbearing because you didn't have a label for it at the time, and it was a new experience. So what happens is that kind of crazy kind of love was all of a sudden couldn't be labeled. And because it wasn't labeled, you had to experience the full range of feelings that it generated. The, the warmth and the relaxation and the discomfort and the confusion or, or whatever it generated in you, the arousal, who knows, like all these different things. Now to each of us it might have been different, some might have felt it literally in the heart, some of them in the solar plexus, some in the guts, you know, but we all had to go through it probably, most of us. If you've never been in love, you can't use that as an example obviously, but you know, bear with me and I'm sure if not you've seen it in movies, so <laughs> you can kind of follow along. So the reason that's important is because if you think about what happens as you go through your life and you meet other people and you fall in love other times, because most of us have fallen in love more than once, right? What starts to happen is that feeling each time becomes less and less strong. Now that might sound really mean and some people will be saying, well, that's a horrible thing. That's just being honest. Don't they say that your first love is always the most powerful? <laughs> Why? Why is your first love the most powerful? Why the first, I'll tell you why. It's because if you fell in love with five people, say, but the first person you fell in love with, you didn't have a label for that emotion. So you had to experience the feeling. By the second time you fell in love with someone, you kind of recognized it. Oh, all right, there's that similar somatic experience my body is going through. So you labeled it, oh, I'm in love. And then by the third time, you only probably had to have the seed of that feeling, the start of it, oh, I'm in love. By the fifth time, probably the feeling was so far back in your subconscious, your unconscious, that you just kind of intellectually realized almost I'm in love and maybe a bit of warmth in the body. But see, the feeling died and became less strong because you labeled it, because you recognized what it was. Now, I would say this is what happens to all of your emotions, because I would imagine that during your developmental years, certainly watching babies and watching young, very, very young children, 
go through emotional experiences that they've not had before, it's overbearing for them. It's incredibly strong. You can see it. It's sort of it's like they're overtaken by an incredibly strong drug. It doesn't matter what the emotion is. Happiness turns into a kind of mania, doesn't it, with, with babies? And then, and then the annoyance, that anger turns into sort of despairing, like their world has ended because they're even a tiny bit annoyed. And we might say that it's because they're not emotionally intelligent yet. And I would say, actually, it's because they're not emotionally labeled yet. So because they're not emotionally labeled, they're going through the feeling. They're going through the experience. So hopefully that makes sense, right? So basically, by labeling an emotion, we kind of lump everybody in as having the same experience when they're not. They're having different experiences. We're all experiencing anger or guilt or grief differently. And also by labeling it, you're kind of shutting yourself off from feeling it because your mind and your body have a weird relationship that once something is recognized intellectually, you stop experiencing it on a bodily level. Not in all cases, pain or suffering, maybe not because we have strange attachments to those as, as the Buddhists pointed out long ago. But a lot of our other emotional experiences, if you can label it, it moves into the intellectual mind so that doesn't mean you're not overtaken by that emotion because, for example, if you're angry, you can get caught up in that emotion. But you often intellectually know you're angry, but you're not going through the same feeling as if it wasn't labelled. I hope that makes sense. So this also has relevance to, if we stick with anger, say, as an emotion, it also has relevance to how impure that emotion can be at any time right because i'm sorry i'm just looking over here because i'm looking keep an eye on the time make sure i don't um i don't talk for too long <laughs> because essentially say you you experience anger maybe someone makes you angry or maybe um i don't know somebody calls you a name or pisses you off or you feel they they undermine your rights or don't give you the service you deserve or, or something like this right and what that does is it generates a, a little bit of anger in you. The feeling of anger starts to be generated. So again, maybe that feeling was a rising up inside the body and a tightening of the muscles, maybe a hot in the head or something. I don't know, whatever your somatic experiences of the, the movement of that feeling that we've labeled as anger. But what happens is your, your mind works very much on association. So when you're angry about one thing, you're often angry about everything that's ever made you angry. That's what happens because say I've been, somebody said a mean thing to me and it upset me and it made me angry. And then maybe a second person did the same and a third person, a fourth person, a fifth person. And we've all been made angry many times. What will happen is your mind will start to lump all those together because again, it's labeling. So the first time you're ever made angry, it's an overbearing feeling. By the time you're in your childhood, you recognize it as anger. So the feeling is still there, but you become lost more in the mind side of it, the intellectual mind. By the time you're a teenager and then an adult, you don't even go through the full experience of the feeling anymore. The feeling is there, but you're more caught up in the emotion rather than the feeling, in the label of it. And the problem with this is that it will then go back through your databases, your memory banks, and it will bring up all of the same, the similar occurrences you've had of anger. So what this means is when you're angry at that person for being rude to you, often you're, you're, carry, you're angry at not just that person, but all of the people you've ever been angry at. Or, or certainly all of the ones that have been bad enough that it's left a mark on you, you know? And we see this because, say with anger, people can become angry at an inanimate object, can't they? Maybe the TV remote control 
isn't working because the battery's loose or something. And instead of logically going, oh, battery's probably loose, you lose your temper and you see someone just throw an inanimate object across the room. And, you, and from an, uh, an objective point of view, <laughs> why was that person so angry at an inanimate object? But of course, what happened was the feeling of anger was generated, probably even only the tiniest bit, and the brain went, oh, there's anger. So then it went back through the database and it, it brought back all of the feelings of anger. So that person's anger that they took out on the remote control was actually their anger at everything else in their life that's making them angry at that moment because they were just working on association. They were habitually angry. The habit of the emotional labeling was arising and that's why they get caught up in it. So this to me is really why we can't follow our emotions or we can't follow our emotions without first knowing what they are because if you're just gonna follow your emotions in a very sort of simplistic way, in an unintelligent way, be like, oh, I'm angry, so therefore my anger is justified. Because this is a big one. Lots of people in the alternative art scene, especially in the yoga scene and the Qigong scene, I see very much, are very much talking about anger being a positive thing and an okay thing. Like, anger's fine, anger's productive, anger gives me power, anger is my weapon against the patriarchy killer society or something. and. Yeah, it's true, like anger can be the impulse to act or anger can be a defense mechanism. Anger can be required, but anger is still a reaction if we're labeling it as, it as anger. And the problem is that once it becomes a reaction, you, again, like I said, you're not really angry at that event. You're carrying with you all of the previous anger as well. You're, you're just, your mind is working on memory and it doesn't matter that you shed you know, maybe this old event you're not angry about anymore. And you might think, oh, I'm not angry about it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can't actually shed your attachment to it. And I'll tell you why. Because unless you've forgotten it, like completely forgotten it, like it's literally not in your memory. I cannot remember that event. Then your brain knows about it. So when you get angry, you'll still have a generation of a feeling of anger from that event. So you, you've not really let go of it. Not really. You might have let go of some trauma that's hurting you, but you haven't let go of the memory. So it's still going to distort your experience of anger. So is it okay to react with anger? Well, it's okay on a non-judgmental level because we're all human, but it's still not really okay. It's still not beneficial because your anger, you've labeled it, you've called it anger. As soon as you call it anger, that means <laughs> it's a named feeling. And if it's named, it can't be true. And what I mean by it can't be true is you're just now going back through all of your, your data bank and then this poor guy who's probably said something minorly offensive is just getting a, like a, he's like in a wind tunnel. You're stuck in a wind tunnel of anger as you just let all of your rage out at the 5,000 people that have upset you over the course of your life, you know. <laughs> and I see this, man. I see this like, I think, and this is mean, it's true, <laughs> and maybe this will make people angry but I think some of the angriest people I've met oh no 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 not angry that's not true but some of the most emotionally reactive people I've met are within the alternative scene I really think they are and I think there's there's a few reasons here's my list again the first is often they think that their emotion is empowering them which is not quite true and I think also sometimes because the amount of introspective work and I think the downside of introspective work is if you're always looking inside, then you become the center of your own universe. <laughs> so gradually introspective work without the insight into the nature of self 
can actually cause you to become very, very self-centered and very, very selfish, self-important, narcissistic. Um, definitely that happens, you know. Whereas people that look outwards, that doesn't always tend to be the case, you know. So I think that inward looking can do that. And once you become the center of your own universe, then you, you end up kind of self-justifying these kind of behaviors. So that's a problem. But I think that the reason is because of the lack of development of insight. I think that insight is what is missed. Looking inside, just putting your mind inside is useless. It really is. I put my mind inside on my breath. I put my mind inside on my dantian. I put my mind inside on my shishuma or whatever it is you're doing. It's useless unless you have the goal of developing some kind of insight into the nature of that which you're looking at. If you're simply looking inside, all you're going to do is you're going to become self-centered because you are now making yourself the focal point instead of the outside world. So this is where the insight comes in. And it's an easy trap to fall into. I've been there. Jesus Christ, I've been there. Definitely. But the insight into your emotions really comes by dropping the label. So when they're saying in the classical arts, you know, do away with your emotions. I think they mean do away with the labels, you know. So if an emotion arises in me, what I need to do is step back from the label and simply experience the somatic feeling that's running through my body without the label. Because the more I'm able to do that, sit there with it and just kind of go, okay, that's what that is. Right, brilliant. I can follow it through my body. I start to learn how my energy moves and how my, my individual experience to certain things takes place. Now, what happens as you do that is you'll notice a process going on. Is there's a stick, let's stick with anger. Okay, there's a sequential, a sequential, I can't speak, there's a sequence <laughs> of somatic experiences that you go through. So again, it will vary person to person, but for me very much there's a tightening that comes first. There's that tightening and then there's a, there's a warmth and then even there's a kind of rising up within my body and then I feel a kind of pressure around, around here, around the head. I feel that process taking place as my chi moves through the body. And if I stay with that feeling, I can just kind of watch it playing out. And when it gets to the end of its course, it just kind of fizzles out again. It's like a cycle. It's like a little water cycle. There it goes and there it done. Okay, brilliant. And then by observing that process and allowing that to move through me, what it means is that the emotion is not repressed. It's not suppressed either. My actions are suppressed because I haven't acted on it. I haven't gone, because instead of <laughs> reacting to the outside world and thumping this person in the face or whatever it is you want to do instead I've taken my awareness um, inside and simply stayed with paying attention to that experience as it runs through and what will happen is instead of it externalizing into anger so I have actually I have actually um, repressed I suppose my action but I've not repressed in a forceful unhealthy way I've just repressed by simply not giving attention to it just by paying attention to the inside so I haven't repressed the emotion, it's run through, but I also haven't clung to it. There's been no clinging because it's just run through me like a cycle. Because any somatic experience, anything that arises in the body, if you just pay attention to it in a neutral manner, an equanimous manner, it just kind of fades away again. So what fucks it up is either, well, generally it's the labeling because you'll find through meditative practice, if you're, you're looking at that part of your awareness and you're paying attention to 
the emotions or the feelings that is, you'll find that as soon as you label it, you get caught in it. So for example, something might annoy me or something might start that experience. So there's the tightness, there's the warmth, there's the rising up. And then if I just pay attention to it, it runs its course. But if I get the tightness and then the rising and then the warmth, they go, oh, there's anger. It stays, it stays. And oh, then I'm caught in it because now I'm clinging to it. So in that way, sorry, I thought that was going to be more comfortable set cross-legged, but it's a bit of a, <laughs> it's a weird thing. Um, then it stays because now I've labeled it. I've given it a reality. I've given it an individuated thing, identity that's separate from me because anger is separate from me. I am angry. I am experiencing anger. Here is my anger, my something. Whereas a feeling is not separate from you. So it doesn't have an individual. You're not giving it an identity. So you're not giving it a reality. You're not creating that schizophrenic existence of something that is outside you because I am my feeling at that moment or <laughs> my feeling is me I'm just paying attention to my feeling and then, it, and then it runs through so it's only the separation and giving it an identity that gives it a kind of reality and you can watch that happening if you watch the feeling come and go it'll come and go if you allow it to come up and then you label it it will stay it'll stick with you and then watch what happens like it's an interesting exercise is when that emotion stays a few times don't hurt anybody but stay with it a little bit more and see what happens and then you'll find it'll start you'll see how it goes back through all of your previous experiences of that same anger that kind of self reinforcing loop that it goes through and then memories will start coming up of things that are just unrelated to this current event and then you realize that person that annoys you reminds you of this person that you used to know and this person in your family and this one that said something to you and wow, all of a sudden you can see all of the associations that you have and all of those associations and <laughs> unfortunately firing energy onto that, that one event that's, that's triggered you, essentially. That's the word, isn't it? So that's the problem with just allowing your emotions to be a guidance system. It's also the problem with trying to sort of cultivate or indulge in feelings because you've indulged in the feeling. That's almost like labeling it because once again it will stick. It all comes back to that same thing of just paying attention to what these experiences are as they come and go and, and, and don't even necessarily label them because I don't want to move them out of the realm of feelings towards emotions. So can you do that on a daily basis? Well, it's a bit long-winded, isn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> How many emotional experiences or feelings do you have over the, the course of a day? Whoa quite a lot, unless you're sat on your own, I suppose, but then you're subject to your own thoughts and they produce emotions, so you can't really win. I guess there's a, we have a different speed. People are at different tempos, depending on how much of a sort of whirlwind they're caught up with regards to their mind. But you're still gonna experience quite a lot of them over the course of a day. So it's more like a, it's more like the form of analysis you do when you have the opportunity. So you do it during seated practice or during breathing practice or during set times when you've decided this is going to be some um, practice for you to become aware of this. Or maybe even something has caused a strong emotion in your life. You've had some bad news or some good news or it doesn't really matter. It doesn't have to be negative, does it? It can be a positive emotion, something that you enjoy. So then what you do is you take yourself away and, and then kind of sit with it and go through this process and just sort of observe it come and go and then you can fully experience the emotion in an unlabeled way that's not repressed that's not suppressed that enables the energy to flow and to move through you so your emotion literally is a motive force a movement that's just passing through you not clinging 
So then at that stage, if you can do this more and more, you'll find you'll gradually start to break down your labeling of the emotions in such a way. So you're still on a practical level, you'll still recognize anger as anger. But the more that you recognize the truth of it, the actual somatic experience of the feeling, the more the power that your previous anger has over you will start to fade. Because once you recognize the truth of something for what it is, it moves from the subconscious towards the, the conscious and then it kind of loses its power over you because it's only when things are in your subconscious or your unconscious that they become a kind of reactivity, a kind of fate-filled reactivity that's going to guide you on autopilot through life. Um, and that's not what you want. You want to bring it through to the conscious realm so that you can recognize it and, and allow it to, to run its course. And then all that power will start to fade away. So then it doesn't matter which of the three camps you sit in, right? Do you sit in the camp where you want to end your emotions? Or do you sit in the camp where you want to have your emotions as a kind of navigation system? Or do you sit in the camp where you want to convert your negative emotions to your positive emotions? It doesn't matter what camp you're in. They're still all going to be benefited by simply becoming aware of the nature of how these things are inside your mind and how you experience them. And, and just to reiterate, the thing you want to experience is the effect that labeling has upon a feeling. That's really what it is, the effect that labeling has upon a feeling. And look how quickly you label things. Look how like you automatically do it. Angry, sad, worried, happy, enjoyment, love, guilt, like they're just there. Those labels are there straight away. And you'll enjoy telling people quite often, I am angry, like, like giving your label to them is a very empowering thing or labeling them, oh, you're upset. Like, like all these labels you give are just not helpful because they're just anchoring them into into their body so it becomes emotion rather than a feeling and again this is my definition of emotion and feeling right it might be different from how it's used in the wider context i can only define it as i define it but in the context where i'm talking about this is how i'm using the word emotion versus feeling so then the third one is a mood right so a mood to me is just an emotion that's stayed it's as simple as that really it's an emotion that stayed something that became labeled to a point that it was almost overbearing so it becomes a constant kind of trap that you're you're in and this is this is for me one of the first things that we need to pull out of we need the moods gone we need the moods gone before we can uh, start to deal with the labeling of the emotions and move towards the feelings and the kind of back to the sort of pure experience of of what this is like when we are, are what we deal with our sensory connection to the world if you're caught with moods i have a depressed mood or an angry mood it's long term or i'm sad or or i'm worried all the time or whatever you're stuck in that loop then you don't have any malleability you don't have any transience it's kind of like a block of ice you know you need to melt that ice to turn it back into water so it's malleable and it can kind of shift around again and that, that's what gives us access to a whole plethora of emotional experiences that we then start to explore through simply observing them and with equanimity. And that, that gives you clarity to the nature of them. And you know what? That water changes into steam, which means that it comes and goes and doesn't create any clinging to you whatsoever. So that's my take on emotions. And the final thing I want to say is like, there's a kind of argument is, is that meditation? And to me, it's not really, because it's not, understanding that is not going to lead you to a meditative state in the literal sense of the word. It's not going to lead you to 
samadhi or taiding or, or jhana or anything like this. It's not going to take you to those states, which are what I call meditation. It's more the stage that comes before. It's like mental training, mind training, heart-mind training, becoming aware of, you know, it's like becoming aware of all of the parts before you even start to explore them, you know. If you're building a piece of flat-packed furniture, here's your IKEA enlightenment flat-packed furniture. Before, it's got so many bloody parts. Before I build it, I've got to lay them all out in front of me so I can see them. And then I've got to get familiar with the instruction manual. While I'm laying out all of the parts to check they're all there, because they normally forget to put some in the box, don't they? That's not building the furniture is it and when I look at the instruction manual that's still not building the furniture but I need to go through that stage in order to get to that stage and it's the same with your your sitting practice the meditation comes once there's a, a unity that starts to arise between your awareness and an object all meditation traditions have talked about that for a long time and there's a very specific mechanic behind that but there's a series of things that has to come first because your <laughs> your awareness the thing that's going to unify with an object has to be able to reside with sort of calm concentration first and in order to do that we have to be able to peel back the layers of clinging and attachment and emotional disturbance and everything that sits on top of all that it's almost like we have to wade through our psychology before we get to our spirituality it's not almost like it is like that so this kind of training that i'm talking about here um, this just becoming aware of the nature of the emotions is what needs to come first, you know. So if you see people saying you meditate to master the emotions or you meditate to become emotionally intelligent, it's not true. Actually, you master the emotions or you become emotionally intelligent so that you can then start to practice meditation. It's the other way around. It's the other way around. Okay, it's very important that we get that distinction because um, <laughs> otherwise it's a bit tail wagging the dog, you know. So, <laughs> that's just my thought on emotions and feelings and moods, I suppose, to a lesser degree. Just a bit of a discussion after my practice this evening out here by the pool. It's very nice, actually. I didn't realize how hot it was out here until I put my big toe in the pool, which is uh, <laughs> nice and cold, so it's, it's quite refreshing, actually. And it's just coming up to midnight here, so I may take a, a midnight dip to cool off after being sat out here. For a couple of hours in a surprisingly warm evening but i just thought i'd share these um sort of insights for you in case they're useful or whatever and they are a bit beginner level i know i know they're beginner level so i know if you're an experienced meditator all of that will be completely useless because you know all of that i'm sure but i just feel that i want to discuss that because i do see a lot of confusion around the emotions are they the enemy are they the the, the source of our life? Are they the guidance system? Are they something that's beautiful? Are they our empowerment? Is my personal power based on the emotion? None of those are true, and all of those are true, but all of them are irrelevant as views until you know what the damn things are. <laughs> and you can experience them in an unlabeled fashion. And that, to me, is the first step for understanding the emotions. And I think a step that a lot of people haven't gone through I think a lot of people haven't gone through it. I think a lot of meditators and yogis haven't gone through it. I think that's fair to say. I'm not talking masters. I'm talking the majority of people that are involved in these traditions on a lesser scale. I'm not talking the great masters in the Himalayas. Of course, they've managed that. Um, and the same in the Qigong world as well. I think it's the same that people, a lot of people would benefit from doing this kind of work. So they just understand the process, you know. So you need to look under the hood of the car to figure out how it all works before you start trying to 
sort of master it, you know. It's just, just wise to do it in that sequence. Otherwise, you're talking about something that you don't really have direct experience of. So you can't, you can't give people correct guidance on how to process these things. So then if you, if you haven't seen how they work, then just saying, you know, follow your emotion. That's not wise, you know. What are you following? Are you following a label? You're following a, a label that's connected to all of your prior experiences? That's never wise. That's never wise at all. That's never a recipe for anything, you know. I mean, how many problems in the world would be solved by let's all become a lot more emotional? <laughs> I don't think that's wise. And at the same time, how many problems can be solved in the world by taking away all emotions? They can't because you become too cold. There's a sort of place in the middle, isn't there, where kind of reasoning and emotions come together so you can empathetically sort of understand what's going on for everybody. But, but I, think all, I think almost all problems can be assisted or helped by becoming more aware of the honesty of what the feelings are that are going through you that are involved in that process. I think that's, that's definitely a beneficial thing for all of us.